Open it, if you would, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 this morning. It's good to see you all here uh, today to worship with us, to open God's Word. We're in a series we just began last week on joy and rejoying, finding, renewing, recovering joy in our lives. And today we're going to be thinking about joy in difficult circumstances. One of the uh, vintage TV uh, series that I grew up watching reruns of was a little show called I Dream of Jeannie. Any of y'all remember that? Uh, I Dream of Jeannie, some of you uh, young whippersnappers may not know about that show. There was an astronaut, he uh, worked for the Air Force, and, and um, he had landed uh, in a capsule, I guess, in the South Pacific, and he found this interesting little bottle, and he uncorked the bottle, and, and this 2,000-year-old female genie uh, with a G uh, came out, and she had, you know, all kinds, kinds of magical powers. And, and because he has uh, set her free, she falls in love at first sight with him and plants a big kiss right on his uh, lips there in the uh, pilot episode. And then for several years, this show goes on. So, so uh, she goes back in her bottle and she causes the bottle to get in his bag. And he ends up back in his home in Florida and he unpacks his bag and there is Jeannie's bottle. And so uh, she has to go in her bottle uh, um, when he says so, and he can cork it, and then he can uncork it, and she can come out. And it's really uh, was quite an entertaining show for a young fellow like me uh, when I was grounded and couldn't go outside, you know. So watched old reruns. And uh, she called him what? Anybody remember what she called master? I was like, that's the way it ought to be. Right there, right? Called, oh, sorry, I just, you know, teenage boy, just thinking that I was shaped by that. And uh, she calls him master and avails all of her powers to some extent. She has a little independent streak, you know, and, and uh, he has this amazing ancient person with all of these powers and beauty at his disposal. You know, I'm not talking to you today about marital relationships by the way, we're thinking about our Christian faith. And I'm afraid that many of us have adopted a genie view of Jesus in our lives. And, and I think it wreaks havoc in our lives. That is that we've got this ama amazing ancient person with all of these mystical powers that somehow we've, we've come into relationship with. And we've got it backwards. So often we want Jesus to call us master. We want to be the master of our fates and then uncork the bottle, send up a little prayer and call on Genie Jesus to help us when we need him. Instead of getting it right like the Bible really teaches that we are, as we saw last week at the beginning of Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, I am a servant, a doulos, a slave, a bond servant to Jesus. That is at the very core of our Christian identity. And what at least I see as I read through the book of Philippians is Paul showing us that we get it wrong. And when we get it wrong, all sorts of chaos ensues in our life when we try to be master and just pull out genie Jesus when we need him. So we got to get our relationship with Jesus right side up. We've got to figure out and get our identity right because as we said last week, it is out of our identity that we live our lives. So we need to get that right as servants and slaves 
of Jesus. You know, it's helpful to continually go to the Word of God and get course correction. And, you know, the daunting thing about the book of Philippians is I certainly don't feel like I've mastered all of these truths. So I want us to go together to the Bible and see these things that are so important to us discovering and finding this abiding joy even when circumstances are difficult. The church of Philippi was apparently, as you read this letter, in great need of help because things were in chaos, things were upside down, things were not right. The book of Philippians, the apostle Paul lays out all sorts of reminders and teachings and and gives his own life as an example of how to live in this abiding joy. The book of Philippians is a letter about Christian joy and how to have it and what to do when we don't have it. So today, living with joy in difficult circumstances. Let's begin, and we're going to go back to some of what we looked at last week, beginning in verse 6. Let's read verses 6 through 11 as I think we see the Philippian chaos and division because things are not right in their lives. He says, verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may overflow still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may discover the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. One of the things that we have to do as we're studying the Bible and taking a letter like this, and it's fun. It's fun to do a little Christian detective work. It's not always patently obvious what is going on, what the situation is. And so we read it and we're trying to discern what what is really at root of the situation that's being addressed in this passage. This is a kind and loving and encouraging letter from the Apostle Paul to his beloved a church uh, in Philippi, a church that he started, he began, led many of them to the Lord, and now he's riding back into a situation that has come up there. I would say a, a, a situation where there is chaos, there is division, and I personally, the way I read this letter and what's going on and what's addressed is, I think there is great anxiety and fear and upset in the church. I think part of the reason they send Epaphroditus to Paul was saying, you've got to help us. We're in trouble. Things are all kinds of messed up, and we need to get things right. Can you come? Can you come? Can you help us? Can you give us a word of wisdom? There's all sorts of dissension and disorder. Some things, again, are very plain. As we will get later in the letter, we'll see he addresses some division and things like that. But I would just say right here from the get-go, even what he's saying to them, I'm praying for you about these things, we see that there is trouble. But here is great news. At the very beginning of the passage we read, he that is God, he who began this good work in you, hey, he's going to see it to completion. Don't give up. Fear not. The Lord has not left you. He's with you. He's maturing you. He's taking you through difficult circumstances. Sometimes he's leading you flat dab right in the middle of them for a purpose. 
for your maturity, for your growth. Isn't it true that often growth in our spiritual life comes not in ease, but in great difficulty? I had a guy tell me just this last weekend, he said, you know, in my life I was praying for patience. The Lord sent me a new baby, <laughs> gave me a new job, gave me a new ministry. And he said, be careful what you pray for. Isn't that true that we grow through difficult circumstances? And so Paul says, listen, the Lord is with you. Don't feel abandoned and forsaken. But this is a great truth. If we're going to have joy in our lives, we have to come to the Lord by faith and realize that he has not forsaken us. He's not forgotten us. He has not left us. He does not hate us. If we belong to Jesus... We are not God-forsaken or spiritual failures. He is with us in hard times, not just in the good times. Don't we think that way, though? Things are going really bad. The Lord must be mad at me. Oh, things are good. I'm blessed of the Lord. And we live our lives like that, but it's just not the case. The case is that if we belong to Christ, we are loved, not forsaken, All authority in heaven and earth given to Jesus, that authority transferred to us to operate here in this world. God began this good work in you. He's doing something in you, even in the midst of chaos and confusion and dissension and division, even in your anxiety and fears. He's showing you something. He wants to help you take a step forward. And so Paul prays in verse 9. He says, listen, I'm praying for you that you'll abound more and more in love. You know, one of the greatest cures to all kinds of things is something that covers over a multitude of evils, and that is love. In the midst of this, maybe God is showing you that your love doesn't stretch far enough. Maybe it's too bounded. Maybe it only belongs to these people, and he wants you to abound more and more in love. You know, when we come into conflict with other people, whether it's in our family, in the workplace, or in the church, we come into conflict, one of the things that we realize is, man... I need love, that universal lubricant to make this relationship work. And he says, and I'm praying that you will have knowledge and discernment, that you will be able to prove what is excellent and so that you can be blameless in the day of Christ and until that day comes. I don't know. You know, you look at it and you think, had they lost their focus? He's talking about, I want you to be able to discern which step you need to take, what you need to do in this situation. Had they lost their focus? They needed discernment to get back on track. Had they maybe come to a point where they were facing things they had never faced before, I thought it was interesting. This thing was in my vest. You can tell how how often I wash this vest, right? This thing was in my vest. Now, I'd gone to visit someone in the hospital, and uh, I had that just in case. I'm reading this letter, and I'm thinking about what kind of situation might they have been facing? Something that just popped up out of the blue, And maybe they just, they were divided about how to handle it. Much like the COVID issue, and it it, it really split a lot of people. I heard of people that had been lifelong friends and co-workers because of the mask, no mask deal. Parted ways. And I thought, what kind of situation might it have been there in Philippi that they're facing? And there are the people on this side going, this is how we have to handle this. Here's the people on this side going, here's how we have to handle it. And Paul is praying, man, that that in the midst of all of this, that you'll have knowledge and love and discernment. You know, maybe they were just 
flat out tired. I, I think here's probably some of what's going on as I'm reading through the letter and what Paul gets to next that we'll look at in just a second is I think they are filled partly with fear and anxiety because of the persecution that was continually upon the early church. The fear that as I'm going to worship, as I'm going to church, someone could jump out of a bush and because I'm a Christian, beat me to a pulp or kill me. It could be that we get to church today and we have uh, no preacher because he's been put in jail, much like Paul was when he was in Philippi. I think they were struggling with how do we relate to this world? Should we be openly Christian? Should we be secretly Christian? And now news has come that the Apostle Paul is in prison, and we're going to see his dire circumstances. And I think this was just like the final straw that, that drove them into despair and anxiety. Have, have you ever thought what it would be like to live in a country where Christians were openly persecuted, where it was outlawed? To live, like, let's say in China, where there is the state church, but then there is the underground church. Let's just take a little vote like Baptists do. How many of y'all in a country like that say, hey, we would just wear it on our, uh, you know, uh, vest here, put a name tag on. I'm a Christian. We're going to go out all in, all out in the open. We're just going to flaunt it. We're not going to hide it. We're going to be bold. How many of y'all are that person? Bunch of chickens, right? <laughs> You're honest. So, so how many of you say no? I mean, I mean, there was underground secret, secret church. That's a valid option. We're going to, we're going to save our lives and we're going to go that way. The rest of y'all not going to church. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> all right. Well, Maybe that was the issue. We just don't know what to do in this situation. Now we're going to see Paul's circumstances and his difficulties. And this is where I got the title for the sermon, Joy in Difficult Circumstances, in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. You know, it's interesting and it's actually very uncharacteristic of Paul in his letters to start out with an opening, give his, here's what I'm praying for you. He normally launches right into some deep theology and then he's going to get the application and then he's going to go to concluding matters like, hey, by the way, send this dude over with my coat and my books because I'm short of reading material. He does that at the end. But now here at the very heart and center and beginning of the letter, Paul launches into his circumstances. I want you to know about my circumstances. That's why I think Paul's imprisonment, it's obvious that he's in prison in this letter. He talks about it multiple times. He is in prison. Hey, Paul was a jailbird, man. I mean, he had been in, in, in jail and in prison there in Philippi. In fact, there was a family there in the Philippian church that had been come to Christ and converted because Paul had been in jail. It was the Philippian jailer and all of his family. Right? And he would go to these different places and, and, and faced all sorts of persecution. But this is different. Something is different about this imprisonment and these circumstances that cause him to address it right here at the heart of the letter. It's a dire situation, apparently, life and death. Probably, at this point, word has come back to the Philippian church. And this is what's welling up in Paul's heart. They're saying they're going to kill me this time. I've been given a death sentence. He's in prison. He's going to die. That's a pretty dire situation, isn't it? And Paul, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of, I, I can't think of hardly a more dire set of circumstances than that. He's about to be executed. And the Philippians are beside themselves. 
with anxiety and fear. You know, you think about that think We're a Pauline church. We're a church that this guy planted and he's right over there and they're about to kill him. What does that mean for us? Does that mean our, 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 our church is gonna dissolve? Does that mean they're coming for us next? And he talks about his circumstances. Hey, listen, y'all know this. We're all going to have difficult circumstances in our lives. That's just life in a fallen world. We're going to face loss, disaster, tragedy, sickness, death, loss of loved ones, accidents. You know, eventually every one of us is going to come to the point where we're that close to breathing our last. There's going to be a day when every one of us will draw our last breath in this body. We don't like to think about that very much. But that's the kind of dire circumstances Paul was in, very close, apparently, to death. How do you maintain composure and joy and happiness and gladness and peace right there? How do you do it? Can you do it? Is it possible to have joy in these circumstances? Let's read verses 13 through 18 now. As, as Paul says, now I want you to know about my circumstances. I'm going to pull back the curtain. I'm going to tell you about my situation. He says, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And the most of the brothers and sisters trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking they're causing me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice." Here is Paul the jailbird with a death sentence given, and he says, I can rejoice. Here is a key to joy in difficult circumstances. This is important. It's looking at positive outcomes and making a decision to rejoice. Positive outcomes, seeing them, and making a decision to rejoice. I didn't see anybody writing that down. Do y'all want to have joy in difficult circumstances? Look for the positive things that God is doing in the midst of those circumstances when you can see them. Or you can look back in the Bible and say, well, I see how God did it here with this guy. Maybe that will work in my life and make the decision to rejoice. Paul lists some positive things that are coming out of his imprisonment. Hey, listen, here's not what he's saying. He didn't say, man, this really sucks. Can I say that in church? I'm sorry. He didn't say, this is horrible. Hey, but at least the food's pretty decent. I, you know, I'm looking for the positive ray of light that, that's outside of this circumstance. He says, no, but in the middle of the circumstances, because of my imprisonment and this death sentence, some things are happening that would not have happened. In the middle of my circumstances, not outside of them, because of them, not in spite of them. These things are happening. What does he say? He said that the gospel is actually progressing. The gospel is going to places it would not have been before. Actually, because of my imprisonment, there is progress of taking the name of Jesus into dark 
places. I think then he begins to show them some of where that is happening. He says, right here in the Praetorian Guard. That is these Roman guards. He said, every one of them in the Praetorian Guard that are, you know, are jailers. Guess what? They've heard about my imprisonment in Christ. Paul has been witnessing to the jailers again. And don't you know, the Philippian jailer and his family, you know, if they're Baptists, they're sitting way back in the back, right? Wherever they are in the gathering of the church, when this letter is read, he says, the gospel has gone out to the entire Praetorian Guard. Don't you know those people said, amen. Because they came to Christ when Paul had been in a jail. Not only that, he said, actually, this persecution, this, this imprisonment and my death sentence has actually emboldened all of the believers, the brothers and sisters in the area, in the neighborhood. They've seen that I can persist, that I'm still sharing the gospel with others. And so rather than persecution causing greater fear for these people, he said, they're actually preaching more. The gospel is going out from other people because a boldness has welled up inside of them because of what is going on in my circumstances. And then he talks about, he says, you know, some of these people, they're preaching Christ out of good motives. And he says, but actually there's some other ones because of my imprisonment. And it's hard to figure out what's exactly going on here or why this would be the case. He says, there's actually some people going around preaching Jesus, trying to cause me trouble. They're actually trying to maybe hasten my death. Or maybe it's some people that have come in and said, you know, that Apostle Paul, he's a loser. He preaches a different Christ. And so they're t talking about Jesus and they're trying to maybe take his spot. They're trying to take the limelight. They're trying to have more authority because Paul is in jail. I don't know. But he says, you know, mixed motives doesn't matter to me. Here's what I know. The gospel of Jesus is being preached because of my imprisonment. So he looks at all of the good things that God is doing in the middle of his dire circumstances. He didn't let, let shackles and chains take away his freedom. He still had freedom to proclaim Christ. And other people were doing it too. Just a divine redirection. Paul had missionary, he was a missionary at heart. He, that was his calling in his life was to take the gospel of Jesus to people. And he said, that hadn't changed. It's just a divine redirection. Are you able to, am I able to have my course set where I think this is what I'm doing, this is what it's about? Paul had aspirations and ambitions. He was an ambitious guy. He was a driven guy. He's like, I'm going to take the gospel here, to Rome, to Spain. I, I can just see it now, man, this worldwide evangelistic crusade. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in a jail. He says, I'm probably never going to get out of this place. Divine redirection. Are we able to accept God's will like that and say, I can still do God's will in this situation? I was at a, a hospital visiting this last week. A young uh, lady, she's actually been to church here several times, uh, in her 20s, was in a terrible car accident. And uh, so I went by the hospital there, and her mom was there, and they were in this, uh, I don't know what you call it, she didn't have her own room. It was one of these places, just this massive open room. There's a nurse, nurse's station, and there's all these little curtains, right? They, they've all got their little thing, but there's no walls between them all, so you can hear everything, you can see everything, and I went in, and there was this young lady, and there was her mother, and they're Christians, and uh, her mother 
just an amazing lady. And, and so we begin to talk about the situation and how God intervened and, and, and they found her there on the side of the road and they were able, the person that found her was an EMT and, and on and on it goes. And here's what she's telling me. And I'm just looking at this banged up girl and all of her hardware and different stuff. And I'm, I'm looking and the mother's going, and, and I'll tell you how this worked. And this was a God thing. And she wasn't whispering it. She was talking loud. She was getting excited. Now, was she broken over the situation and are there hardships? Yes. But she was going, you know, I can see in just how we've gotten to this point, how God's hand has been in it to help her get to this point. And she's still alive. And I'm listening to her right there. And, and, and the person over here, I hear their bed kind of rattling. I'm wondering if they're like, not kind of going like this. What's that girl saying? And the nurses, they're actually, I look out and there's two or three nurses, I guess they're nurses, hospital people waiting to come in, but she's going to finish her story. And she said, and it was a God thing here. And it was a God thing here. And I see how God was at work in this. And she was bearing witness in that very difficult circumstance. And I thought that is the kind of example we're being taught here. Can we see God's hand? Can we accept his hand? Can we thrive even when God's in his sovereign plan has dealt us something that wasn't on our agenda? Paul did. Paul could. And I think Paul is showing the Philippians, hey, look, even in the darkest places, there is light. I can't think of anything much worse than being in a prison. I think... I don't know. I think Paul's kind of kind of like I am. He's, he's kind of antsy. He's a world traveler. He's a guy that wants to go to that place. He doesn't stay in any one place long. And he's, and he's wanting to go and go. And what has he reduced to? He's reduced to a little box being chained up, probably abused. Actually, the food probably wasn't very good there. His freedom was gone. But you know what, folks? Sometimes it's in that kind of situation when we actually see the most clearly. When all of our freedoms and choices and possibilities fly away, they're no longer a possibility. When maybe dreams are dashed, dead-end roads have come, the death sentence, the diagnosis, whatever it is has been given. Sometimes I think it's in those moments that we absolutely see the most clearly what really matters. And I wonder if it's not in that prison cell as he's been given a death sentence and now he's writing this letter back to this church. He actually all the more sees what really matters. What matters in life? Is it the next dollar that you make? Is that going to make you happier? Is that going to cause you to fulfill your dreams? The promotion, the thing, the new shiny object? Will that matter when you're in that hospital bed, prison cell? When you're ready to draw your last breath, or at least you can see it is on the horizon. Will you say, I wish I would have made more money? I wish I would have done blank. What really matters in life and in death? And here's what I think it is. Am I ready to stand before my creator? Do I know that I have eternal life? Paul had that settled long ago. And he spent his life obeying the calling Jesus gave him that in the midst of hardship, 
he would suffer much for the sake of Jesus. He spent his life, gave up his freedom, gave up everything that he had attained, degrees, position, and all of that in Judaism to tell people that what really matters is that you are reconnected with your creator through Jesus Christ who he has sent. That's what matters. And so here in the last few verses is a powerful Christian declaration. It is the distilled essence and the epicenter of joy. Folks, do you want to have abiding, eternal, everlasting, no one can steal it from you joy? Here's where you'll find it. Let's see what he says in verses 18 through 21. He says, but actually, yeah, end of verse 18, but not only that, I will rejoice. Now, listen to this real quick. He said, I rejoice that the gospel has gone out from because of my imprisonment, but not only that, I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul has said it now, I rejoice. He made the conscious decision to rejoice in what God was doing in his difficult circumstances. And he says, no matter how this turns out, for life and getting out of jail or for death in this place, I can still rejoice. I will rejoice. Because I will be true to what I have believed. I will be true to Jesus. Regardless of what happens, I'm going to rejoice. If I get out, rejoice. Die here. Rejoice. I know, he says, this will turn out to my, for my deliverance. And it's difficult as you read Paul's words there that we just read. Is he talking about the fact that he honestly believes he's going to get out of jail? It does kind of appear that way. Or maybe the deliverance that he has in mind isn't that like in Philippi, the, 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 uh, there's going to come a great earthquake and the doors are going to open up. Maybe it's not that deliverance. Maybe it is deliverance, the final deliverance. And he will receive his reward from the one on whom he has believed. He says, I won't be put ashamed. I won't be ashamed in anything. Man, they can rack my body. They can strip me down. They can abuse me. They can do whatever they want. And you think, man, that'd be shameful. He says, I won't be ashamed of that. Because I'm here because of Christ, not of anything evil that I've done. He says, I'm not going to be ashamed of that. If I get out, not going to be ashamed. I'm not going to be ashamed. Whether in prison or free, having much or having little, Received or rejected by men, I will not be ashamed because I live for this one purpose. You ready for it? Here you go. The thing that will bring me lasting joy and is an unmovable rock. It is the source of joy. It's living for Jesus. It's receiving his promises. Banking on that. By faith in this life and by sight in the next. Jesus. He says, here's the epic verse. Philippians is full of um, bumper, sticker, coffee mug, uh, meme verses, 
right? There's a bunch of them from Philippians. And here is one, and we say it all the time. I'm not sure we really grapple with it. He says, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. In other words, the thing that my life is all about is not worldly attainments and stuff and position and power and, 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 and whatever. It's about Jesus. That's what I live for. That is the source of my identity and my joy. And if I die, all the better because I get to go see him face to face. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christian, if you belong to Jesus, you belong to Jesus. No man can snatch you out of his hand. Heights nor depths, nakedness, famine, sword, loss of freedom, none of that can strip Jesus out of your heart. None of that can take the Holy Spirit from you. You belong to him. Grab hold of this fact. He sees where you're at. He knows your circumstances. He has purposes and plans for the hospital bed, the prison cell, and every other place on this earth. He has not left you. Cling to him, and you will find an unchanging source of joy. But we look for it in all kinds of other places. And you can leave this place and say, I don't know about all this Jesus joy stuff. And you can continue pursuing joy in all sorts of worldly, earthly ways. But you know, as I was just sitting back and thinking about, hey, this is in my heart too. I'm prone to say, "Ah, Jesus is good, but I need a new truck. Right? I mean, don't we do that? Take it from the Bible, from a dying man. What really matters is that you know that you're forgiven and you have eternal life and that you're right with God. That's what matters. That is a source of joy that never changes. The love of Christ never tarnishes, rusts, fades, or goes away. The love of Christ stays with you forever, no matter how old you get, how infirm, or anything else. The love of Christ, that is where eternal joy is found. Nothing else will satisfy. Would you bow with me today? In this time of response and invitation, a couple of things. I would just say, number one, Do you know Jesus? Do you have eternal life? Do you know that your sins are forgiven, that you belong to God? If not, you've never connected with the source of joy. Come to Christ today. You know in your heart that the pursuits of this life, and they bring pleasure and excitement for just a few moments, but then we're on to the next thing. They don't, they don't last. Come to him. Come to the master. Receive eternal life. Trust him by faith. Christian, where are you at? Are you living in the joy 
of the promises of Christ? Are you living in the joy and the peace of knowing him? Are you availing yourself of this fruit of the spirit, which is joy? Maybe today the Lord would just have us to clear our sight, to clear our plates, to sweep aside the things that are just fluff and dust that we've set our sights on. Maybe the source of anxiety and fear in your life is because you've stripped away God from his throne. You've started believing in yourself, your abilities, your degrees, your talents. You're trusting in some other thing. And I'll tell you, when that thing shakes, you will be shaken. But the anchor holds with Jesus. We see it in Paul. We see it in this word. We need to come back to that reality. Restore our faith in Jesus. Call him master. Tell him again, we belong to you. Wherever you send us, we will go. Whatever lot you have for me, that I will receive because I trust you. Trust him. I had a friend this week in his 30s has cancer. He's got little kids. He's in ministry. He's followed the Lord, given his life to the Lord to serve him. He's got cancer, cancer of the throat, and he's a worship pastor. And I just asked him, I said, man, how are you doing? He said, I was reading the book Slave by John MacArthur, and I realized that it's not my job to dictate my circumstances. My job is to look to the master and say, whatever you have for me, I know it is good. Can you say that today? Would you say that today as a person of faith? Lord, this thing that you've set before me, this difficult circumstance, it doesn't seem good. It doesn't feel good. But with you, I know you're working it out for my good. today, let's open up the altar to prayer. If you need to do business with God, we're not going to rush through this. You do business with God. You come and pray. If you'd like to grab someone to pray with you, you come and grab them. If you need someone to pray with you, come up here. We'll pray with you and set our sights on the master. However you need to respond today, you do that. Lord, help us to live by faith. Help us to see what matters. Help us to rejoice in the fact 
that our lives are hidden with Christ. We are safe. We are safe eternally. We are loved. We are free. We are guarded by you and your strong hand. You're our master. You're our Lord. Help us to be a people of joy. Not because of what the world has given us, but because of what you've given us. Do a work in us, Lord. Each one of us, starting with me. To see what you see. To come into the joy of Christ in the midst of a fractured and anxious and fearful world. Let us be a people of calm and peace and joy and love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.